Morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Can we just say thank you to our students for leading us in worship? How cool is that? Thank you. Thank you for using your, your gifts to lead us. It's, it's good to see uh, young people uh, just with a passion for Jesus and leading us. Uh, and one old guy. Uh, that's cool, too. Um, he's older. He's actually older than me. Did you know that? He's like two years older than me. So I can call him an old guy if I want to. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just great. So thank you. Uh, I'd love to have you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there are red ones uh, on the row you're in. You can also follow along on uh, some device if, if you do that, if you have a Bible on your phone or a tablet or something like that. And speaking of phones and tablets, um, here's a little nod to our upcoming series. This is the last week of our neighboring series. Next week we are starting a, uh, a, a teaching series called The Theology of Technology. Woo! Uh, so, uh, our, our world is, is this sort of like, we, we live in a world that is swimming with technology, right? Like, I mean, we interact with the world, not with just kind of like raw creation. We actually interact with the world through devices, through technology, through human-made tools, whether it's clothing or cars or screens, things like that. And so we're going to be asking the question in this series, how does our theology, our understanding of God, how does it inform the ways that we choose to use and interact with technology? And uh, how does the Bible story teach us about technology, uh, the benefits of it, the drawbacks of it, and how we use it wisely? This whole series kind of comes out of an event that maybe some of you uh, were at, that uh, Sherry, our children's pastor, and Jesse, our youth pastor, did um, back in the, I think it was last fall, called Help, I'm a Parent. And the, I love that. Help, I'm a parent. Like, how many of you have had those moments? I don't know what to do. Um, and the, the, the first one they did, Help, I'm a Parent event, was about technology. And just got so much great feedback and so many more questions. They were like, well, let's put a series together uh, and, and just talk about this as a whole congregation. So that's starting, starting next week. But for this week, we're wrapping up our neighboring series. And I wanted you to have a chance to hear from people uh, that aren't me, um, to hear people sharing about how God is at work in them and how they are uh, at turn and work in their neighborhood. And so I asked uh, Cassie uh, Johnston and uh, Kirk Zahn uh, to come up and to share. So let's welcome them to the stage. That's right. All right. And, uh, and I realize, like, many of you could have, could have asked uh, you to come and share too, because so many of you, and I hear stories from so many of you who are just active in your neighborhoods and trying to love your, uh, your neighbors well, and so you all have stories to share. So this is just kind of a, a snapshot a little bit of, of the whole congregation. So hopefully we can, yeah, just kind of celebrate what God is doing, share together, and, and learn together. So thank you guys very much for being willing to to do this, to carve out time this morning to, to share with us. Um, so neighboring, we've been in the series for, this is our fifth week, but it's also not something new. Uh, as a church, we talk about being good neighbors a lot because we think it matters uh, to Jesus. And so maybe share a little bit just about how each of you are, are trying to be good neighbors and, and what is God prompting you to do in your neighborhood and maybe do differently. So, I don't know, Cassie, you want to jump in? So, 
I read a book this spring called The Turquoise Table, and it was about a woman who wanted to cultivate community in her neighborhood. And she took a really simple idea of putting a turquoise picnic table in her front yard. And she would sit there and have coffee or have meals with her kids or do homework or whatever the needs were, but she had no technology. This is, I just realized this timing is good. Um, she took no technology to the table though, um, mainly because her Wi-Fi did not reach that far from her house. And um, that just added to the option to spend more time with people. And so we have done the same thing. Um, two days before Jim showed the video here when he was teaching, um, we had put our table in our front yard. And we've been able to meet there a couple times with um, just women's groups. Um, we've moved it to the backyard for our missional community. And um, there's a lot of opportunities. I've sat there a couple times. And um, the first time I was there for five minutes, I mean, literally five minutes. And uh, one of my dad's old music buddies drove down the street. And we were able to talk for a little bit just because I was in the front yard. Um, it's it also gives us a chance to just see the neighbors when they're outside. Um, we're normally in our backyard. Our kids' stuff is in our backyard. It's fenced in. It feels safer. And this gives us an excuse to go to the front yard. And there's a lot more in the front yard than there actually is in the backyard. That's cool. And actually a cool connection is I had two people after Jim was here teaching a few weeks ago and talked, showed that video of the turquoise table, had two people, Cassie was one, uh, but another family as well that showed a picture, sent me, texted me a picture of a turquoise table in their front yard. So it's cool. Like, so um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a turquoise table. It shouldn't be a purple table. Um, and it shouldn't be a red and blue table, right? Those things are divisive. Um, so, but to, how cool would that be if like journeyers, like all over our community, wherever we're, we're from, we're, we're just like moving into that space in our front yard as a place to interact and, and care for and be with our neighbors. So thank you, yeah, for just sharing that, for doing that. Kirk, how about you? You know, there, there's a, a number of, I've, I've shared in, in the last uh, couple services this morning, and, and more uh, things keep coming to mind. One of the things that, that just came to mind was, was an event that happened a, a number of years ago, actually, but, but it's very pertinent and to, to what we're doing. There had been a major snow event where we used to live in Chicago, and um, I mean major, like like snow four feet deep. It, 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 the drifts would were over the chain link fences, and at the time, I had a large pickup truck, huge jacked up, big tires, everything. Um, it was the only vehicle in the neighborhood that could get out and get to the gas station, so I went and got gas, filled up all kinds of jerry cans, grabbed them from all the neighbors. And then um, probably six of us started shoveling driveways, snow-blowing driveways, and we worked all day um, clearing the, the little neighbor, neighbor lady next door that couldn't do it herself and, and our own. And, and just it was such a rallying of community. It was so cool um, to experience that and, and be a part of that. And, and then afterwards, I invited all the guys to come over, and, and we sat in the hot tub and just hung out afterwards and just spent some time being together and, and often work around an, an event hmm. um, opens the door to conversation. And yeah. 
so that was that was an, an example. Yeah, especially those like I mean, we've had ice storms, uh, even just a couple of weeks ago with the big thunderstorm that came through and knocked out bunches of limbs and stuff in our neighborhood. Like neighbors are outside helping each other. So those kind of traumatic events bring people together, bring community. Mm-hmm. And you were telling a story just of like yesterday, of just kind of an intentional decision. Yeah. So around. yesterday we were. I was loading up the, the truck with, with all the paraphernalia required for going somewhere with the children. And, um, <laughs> and I had, pain. yeah, after my second trip load to the truck, I, I, I happened to notice my neighbor, a, a gentleman across the street, a family had recently moved in. I had never met him. And I stopped what I was doing. It was a conscious choice. I had to make the effort to stop what I was doing and go across the street and introduce myself and say hi. And um, just making margin, taking time um, mm. is something that I found is, my wife and I both talk about that, is such an important aspect to being a good neighbor, mm. um, making sure we're not too busy and running late. Yeah. So. I, I had somebody uh, before the first service came up and like, hey, this whole neighboring thing, um, I was working on a fence and neighbor stops by and starts to talk and talks for an hour. And, like, relationships are going to mess up our timetables. Like, they just are. And we're going to make those choices along the way. Are we going to choose to, and sometimes we can't or whatever, but are we going to choose to just listen to a person and and have the relationship or stick with the tight time schedule, too? So margin is a big deal. So what has God been teaching you um, through through these simple acts of, you know, obedience? What, What has God been doing inside of your your heart I have been learning a lot about um, overcomplicating things like um, living missionally and hospitality and I think we look at ourselves a lot and say my space isn't big enough um, I my food isn't good I my it's not clean I don't know I don't know I can't do it and I think that's not true I think that um, people really just like to be shared with, um, whether that's conversation or meals or space. They just, if you have something and you share it, I think that's what creates community. Um, I've had only a few times that I've sat at the table, but the first time um, I sat with my grandma and she said, let's have coffee. So I got her some coffee, we had coffee and my two-year-old dumped all mine and, and drank the last few drops. So we were all just right at home in that situation. <laughs> but she had been able to benefit from the table on, on a Tuesday. And on a Thursday, I needed to make muffins for the next gathering the next day. And again, my son um, wanted to play in the mud. And I left the muffins in the oven. And, I, and, it's, and it's not something I regret doing. It was more important to spend the time with him in the yard. But I was out muffins, and I didn't have time to make them. So when I told my grandma that, she brought over muffins. And the first thing we ate at the table was muffins that she'd made. And it was a really hopeful place where, you know, if you have benefited from this place, then you feel um, like you can give back to it. And so that already happened once, and we've only sat there a few times. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I mean, if I had gone to Dylan's and picked up something, that would have been fine. If we didn't have anything at all, that would have been fine. Um, and that's, yeah, just I think lowering expectations is a big part of that, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, that's good. I think one of the things that, that I've learned 
or am learning is, is that God is already working. And if I dare to believe that, then it makes taking advantage of opportunities um, a lot easier. I don't have to generate um, awkwardly um, conversations. I, I just mm-hmm. let it kind of happen and look for the chance and, and, um, and, and also then to be gracious and to myself in when I see an opportunity and I don't take it to, mm-hmm. to not beat myself up about it, mm-hmm. but but to continue to look for the opportunities that are that are around me, and and I you start to see a lot of them yeah. if you start looking. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys very much for sharing. Appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, in this series on neighboring, we've, we've talked about uh, a number of things. Here's just kind of a couple of, uh, of highlights. We talked about Jeremiah 29, where God calls his people to seek the peace or the flourishing of the city that, that they're in. And so to, like, to actively seek the, the God's peace in our neighborhoods is something we're called to. Uh, to plant gardens, um, whether they're literal gardens or, you know, figurative gardens, but to places where people can come and share the abundance, can share relationships and experience flourishing. Uh, Philippians 3, we talked about how Paul reminds these Christians in a Roman colony of Philippi that their citizenship is in heaven. And he reminds them of that, not to say, hey, someday you're going to like be extracted out of your neighborhood and go somewhere else to a place called heaven, but you're actually here and now called to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That's a phrase by N.T. Wright. I love that. The Christian's job is to colonize earth with the life of heaven, to believe that God is already at work, like Kirk said, that, that God is already moving, and to help live the kind of lives in real simple ways that give people a taste of God's love for them. And so we talked about moving from a scarcity to abundance, that moving from this place of, hey, there's not enough to go around, so we have to protect everything we have, to, no, like there's, there, there's plenty of muffins to share, right? In, in another service, Kirk shared about his neighbor selling tamales. You know, the neighbor kid comes over and he's like, oh, could, would you like to buy some tamales? Of course. When your neighbor is selling tamales, you buy tamales. And I told him, you buy tamales for your pastor, too, or call him and say, please, come and get tamales. Um, but moving from scarcity to abundance, uh, to how to cultivate that in our neighborhood, in relationships. And then uh, just real practical ways of knowing and loving our neighbors. Taking muffins as a catalyst to start conversations or, or brownies. I, I've heard stories uh, from, from some of you about just that interaction of taking brownies to the neighbor and, and conversations that were started there. So the question then becomes, uh, so now what? Like, how does knowing and loving our neighbors... How does it connect with our vision as a church? And our vision as a church is, and of course, everybody knows this, right? It's on the screen behind me if you don't know it. There it is. What's our vision? One more time. Ready? Yeah, fantastic. To replicate Jesus, being disciples who make disciples. This is our vision. This is what everything sort of orbits around. 
as a church. So how does knowing and loving our neighbors connect with this vision of walking with people toward Jesus? Because we want, as disciples of Jesus, the thing we want more than anything else, more than anything else, is for our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family to come to know Jesus. To experience his love and his grace and the transformation that happens when a person surrenders their life to Jesus. This is what we want more than anything else as disciples of Jesus, because we've made Jesus the center of our lives. So here, I just want to kind of quickly this morning uh, look at how this connects, knowing and loving our neighbors. How does it connect with helping them learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? And like in everything, we're going to take our cues for how to do this from Jesus himself. So take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. A verse where uh, we, we talk quite a bit about around here. It's, it's almost kind of a theme verse for this, this vision that's been guiding us. John 1, 14. This powerful, powerful statement. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So when, when God wanted to save human beings, to save humanity from their self-destruction, how did God do it? He didn't issue a decree from heaven. Now, could God have done that? Could he have just sort of issued a decree from heaven? Like, yep, you're saved, you're redeemed. Probably. I mean, I don't know how all the theology works out, but God's God. God could have probably done that. But what did God choose to do instead? He chose to become one of us. He chose to take on flesh. He chose to identify with us in all of our sort of brokenness and pain. He chose to enter into all that. The word um, incarnation, it literally means to put on flesh. And this is what God did. Um, Think about this for a second. Jesus, how old was he when he began his public ministry? Anybody know? Shout it out if you know it. Take a guess. So he was 30. So 30 years old when he started his public ministry. So he was like, we, we, have, we have stories about him at his birth. We have stories about him at the temple when he was 12 years old, right? And then we just have this gap from 12 years old to 30 where we don't know anything about his life. So what was Jesus doing? What was God in flesh doing for these years until he started his ministry? He was being human. He, he was being human. He was working. He was, he was a child. He was a brother. He was a, a family member. He was going to the market. He was, you know, a carpenter. Like, he was just being human in the neighborhood, and nobody knew it. Nobody knew that this was God in flesh. Is that an amazing statement about the scandalous nature of, of God's willingness to identify with human beings? It was just there. And, and so he came and moved among us and, and lived among us and, and, and began then teaching this message of the kingdom of God coming from the inside out as one of us, not from somewhere else, but as a human being, a fellow human being. And then at the end of John's gospel, turn to John chapter 20. Um, at the end of John's gospel, he makes this, Jesus makes this amazing statement to his disciples, those who have trusted him, like us, who have said yes to following him. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says this, As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. So, and and that word as, 
can mean like sort of in the same way. So if you look at the way Jesus was sent to live, to be human, to put on flesh and blood, to take the message of salvation and to put it in skin and bones, Jesus says, now you who are my disciples, the church, you are now called to be sent in the same way. To actually put flesh and blood on the message of Jesus. To, to not just speak the message of salvation from some like sort of comfortable ivory tower, but to actually enter into the mess of life with people. To come close to people. And so if we're going to do this, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to like make disciples, be disciples who make disciples, incarnation is going to be where we start. And, and we're going to follow the example of Jesus to say uh, proximity and presence are going to be really important to us. What Jesus did in the incarnation is he came close to us, proximity, and he was with us, presence. And so that, that means um, we are going to just sort of like, we're going to come close to people. We're going to enter into their lives on their terms, in their turf, places where they're comfortable. We're not necessarily going to sort of pull them out and say, why don't you come and be with me on my terms. Now, there's a story um, about three nuns in, it sounds like a joke, doesn't it? You hear the one about three nuns? Um, it's not a joke. It's, uh, it's a story. I would like to hear that joke, but I, I don't, we'll have to make one up. So there's this, this, these three nuns who live in Queensland, uh, Australia, and they live in this kind of comfortable suburban part of the city, and they have this task of going across town to a rough part of the city to these high-rise buildings. There are like six high-rise buildings connected to one another. And, and these are uh, the epicenter of crime, corruption, sexual exploitation. Like there's just lots of, lots of broken stuff going on in these places, right? And so these, this, these nuns drive across town and they take their clipboards um, it's a very nun-like thing to do, I guess. And, and they start just knocking on doors and asking people about their experience. Like, what, what's going on in your life? What problems are you facing? Things like that. And so they, you're just day after day, just kind of going back, taking down this information, hearing people's stories, and getting in their car and driving back across town. And finally, a few weeks into this, they say, we can't do it anymore. We can't hear these stories and, like, be with these people who are suffering and hurting and then drive across the town, to our comfortable homes. So they go to their priest and they say, could we get an apartment in one of these high-rises? Could we, could we do that? And he says, yeah. And these apartments weren't hard to come by. Like, nobody wanted to be there. People were there because they had to be there. And so they chose to be there, to move in. And now they just kept doing the survey work through these six buildings, just knocking on doors. But then after taking down their stories, they would say, hey, um, if you want to talk more about this, we live in apartment 3B. And you can just come by, um, and, and we'll talk more about this. And they just kept going, through, kept going through their job. And that one move of just saying, we're going to choose proximity. We're going to choose to be with presence. It changed everything. It, it opened up doors of relationship. They now have eight services. This is the last time, it was a few years ago when I heard this. They have eight gatherings of people who live in these apartment buildings who come into their home on a Sunday morning and have a worship experience. Now, they're Catholic nuns, so they'd say, no, this isn't church. We don't have a priest. We don't do, you know, the Eucharist and that stuff, but it's church, right? They, eight groups of people filing through their apartment, experiencing the presence of Jesus. They've started literacy programs and, uh, 
and, and gotten people connected with, with uh, other sorts of education initiatives. And they have, have like begun to bring the kingdom of God from the inside out. This is a picture of incarnation. This is what Jesus has done. He's come among us and he's, he, he's ministered to us from the inside out. And this is what Jesus is going to call us to do as well. To, to not speak a message of salvation from a safe, comfortable distance, but to actually get our hands dirty in the lives of people. Um, the, the next thing, uh, once this begins happening, like once we, we feel this call to be with people, there's, there's a reputation that, that, that comes from this. Um, next slide. There's a reputation that starts to happen. Like Jesus gets a reputation. Jesus has some street cred. Right? Like, sometimes Jesus will heal somebody, and, and what happens is, like, this person goes, and Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Like, my time hasn't yet come. And what do they do? They just go and tell everybody. Um, and so, like, when the church is living this way, there's some street cred that happens. Have you checked your street cred lately? I said street cred in first service, and it was like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? So if you don't know what street cred is, talk to our high school students. They'll, uh, you'll be so hip, you won't know what to do. Um, so, uh, some of you are like, yeah, my hip, I need some help with that. Um, so, reputation. Uh, Jesus, like, think about the story in John 4, where Jesus is with the woman at the well. And this woman, her life is a mess, right? She knows her life is a mess, and everybody else knows her life is a mess. Do you know that when your life is a mess, you don't need other people to tell you your life is a mess? Why? Because you know it more than anybody else. And the last thing we need is for somebody to pile it on. We, the last thing we need is a, is a harsh word of condemnation when our life is a mess because the voice of condemnation that's happening inside our own heads is much louder than any voice from the outside. So what does Jesus do? He's just with her. He sits with her. He talks with her. He engages her in conversation. And do you know the cool thing that Jesus does? He just sees her as a human being made in God's image who has value. Um, Jesus doesn't feel the need to condemn her, but he also doesn't condone her either. Like, and, and so sometimes like, we feel like, oh, those are my two options. I'm either going to come out harshly against this person's behavior because I need to confront them, and, and I'm going to condemn their behavior because it's wrong, or if I don't do that, well, I'm just going to condone everything about them and say, well, I'm going to put my stamp of approval on, on their behavior. And Jesus doesn't do either of those things. He doesn't, he doesn't just say to this woman, hey, you know what, you've had five marriages and, and those have all fallen apart, and this guy you're with now, you're sort of like, you know, testing the waters, and he's not your husband either, you just haven't made commitments at all, so you know what, you do you. I, I did this in second service, I was like, what was that? Like, <laughs> you do you. Um, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he doesn't just say, you just do whatever makes you feel good. If like, you just need to explore a little bit and figure this out. Um, you, you just do that. Jesus does not condone her activity, but he also doesn't condemn her. He's full of grace and truth, right? So he's full of just acceptance and love and seeing her, and yet there is something about him that like, just sort of holds a mirror up to her that she realizes her own brokenness. And so what happens is, is she ends up going back to the community, and what does she tell her neighbors? Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. And you know what the implication is? And he still loved me. Man, what if, what if that was the street cred of the church? Like, you know what those Christians? Like, they know everything I've ever done, and they love me. And they value me. 
and they will walk with me, and they, they see me, and they care about me. This was, this was the reputation that begins to spread. Those people who live, you know, on, on Monroe and 25th, like, there's something different about them. Like, they've got this crazy turquoise table in the front yard, and there's just something, there's something odd about them, and I like it. What if, what if that was what was happening in the church? And then there's all sorts of conversation that starts to happen. We have a reputation, and conversation starts to happen with our neighbors, and we just get a chance to listen to them. How many ears do you have? Everybody say two, right? And one mouth. What does that mean? We're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. Easy for you to say. You're the pastor. All you do is talk. Um, and on Sunday mornings, that's about right. But, like, what would, it, what would it look like for us in, in conversation with our neighbors to just listen to them? To just, like, to be aware of what's going on in their lives and just to ask questions. Hey, I see you planted some new flowers in the front yard. Like, where did you learn to like flowers? How did you learn how to garden and, and do that kind of stuff? Um, could you help me with mine? Like, I don't even know how to keep these things alive. Oh, like, your dog. Tell me about your dog. Like, where did you get that? Um, like, all sorts of, do you know people love, do you know what people love to talk about more than anything else? themselves. We love to talk about ourselves. So when somebody starts to ask us questions, we just, man, the floodgates open. And, and so for us, as followers of Jesus, what if we were just so interested in people that we just got to draw out of them the things that they value and their stories, just lots and lots of conversation, meals together, things like that. And then at some point, there's this moment or this, this process of, of confrontation. Um, or maybe the word is proclamation, where we're just naturally talking about Jesus, right? Like, if, if Jesus is the most important person in our lives, if we have, like, said yes to Jesus, and, and all of our life is oriented around Jesus, then we're just going to talk about Jesus in ways that aren't creepy, in ways that don't feel forced and don't come across as, like, well, you're just sort of, like, reading off of a list of ways to talk about Jesus. If we're excited about something, we're going to talk about it. And so Jesus can just become, and I realize for many of us this is not the case, but Jesus can become one of the most natural things to talk about, that we just talk about what he is doing in our lives. And sometimes we're so worried that we're going to offend people if we just naturally talk about Jesus. But the, the truth is, the majority of people are really intrigued by him, are absolutely just, tell me more about this Jesus, about what you're learning. And so, but there, there comes this moment where, like, we, we end up, through the course of conversation, we, and if this, is, if this is Christ, the cross here, what starts to happen is we begin to turn slowly, and we end up making a choice to say, am I going to choose to follow this Jesus and, and, and surrender my life to him so my life is oriented toward Jesus? I, I think this is what conversion looks like. Conversion isn't normally, like, one moment somebody confronted me, backed me up against the wall and said, here are the four spiritual laws. Do you believe these? If not, here's what's going to happen to you. That's not the kind of confrontation we're talking about. The kind of confrontation is this, is this is like through love and care, we, we are pointing people and helping them come to see Jesus clearly so they have a moment to choose, am I going to choose to follow Jesus or not? It, it's a bit like the sex talk. That, you should see how many heads like popped up. Man. I should use that more often. Uh, um, like sometimes parents will ask, hey, how do I have the talk with my kids? And it's real simple. You don't. You don't have the talk. You have lots of talks. You just talk about it. Like you just, um, when, when questions come up, you just, you have lots and lots of conversations. And at some point there's a moment where like the mystery gets, you know, sort of taken out of things and birds and bees, all that stuff. 
But there are lots of talks up to that point. And the same thing is true of Jesus. There are lots of talks. It's not just like, the, the, we're going to have the Jesus talk today. We have lots of talks in the Jesus talk. Um, tuck that one away. The sex talk and Jesus talk all the same. And then, uh, and then finally, there's transformation, right? Like there, there's this, for, for those who choose to follow Jesus, and we just get the joy of seeing the life of God take root inside of a person, of, of learning to see themselves as valuable, of, uh, of God's saving power, of the Holy Spirit at work in them, and then they join God's mission as well. You get to see transformation. There's nothing more powerful than lives that are changed. So um, how many of you know gardens don't get planted on accident? How many of you plant gardens? Uh, just out of curiosity, so some of you. Um, how many of you know discipleship doesn't happen on accident? Like, to choose to be a disciple is an, is an ever-present decision to say, Jesus, I want to choose to follow you today. It is not the path of least resistance. There are lots of other paths that will pull us in easier ways. But to choose to follow Jesus is, is saying, Jesus, I'm going to choose to make you my highest priority again today. And I'm going to choose to be a disciple who, who makes disciples. So I want to see my neighbors and love my neighbors. So help me, God, to do this. And, and so d- this is a picture of our garden um, over here. I like to show people my garden. Uh, so a bunch of pepper plants up front and some sunflowers in the back. Up here on the right, uh, there's some zinnias and herbs and, and then a bunch of tomatoes for salsa. And then uh, down here, um, there's some like cucumbers and squash and some mystery plants that are coming up there. We don't know. Raspberries. So anyhow, gardens don't plant themselves by accident. There's a lot of work and intention that goes into this. There's, there's planting and preparation and weeding and watering and watering and watering. Um, gardening in Kansas. But every once in a while you get this surprise. So we have this lot in the back of our, in the back of our, 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 our little uh, property that's just weeds. Like it just, we normally just weed eat it a couple, every couple weeks. And we have our compost pile back there. And a couple of months ago we started to notice this plant that's growing. We're like... Let's let it grow. And it just started taking over like this whole weedy lot in the back of our property. We did not plant this thing. We have not watered this thing. It is growing entirely on its own. And it is this, we think, a butternut squash that has just like, it's over 30 feet long now. It has taken over. Listen, it has taken over this lot that was useless, that was full of weeds. That was completely unproductive. And it has actually made it fruitful and is giving us something that we're going to be able to eat and enjoy and to share with our friends and neighbors. See, sometimes we, we, we do this discipleship thing and we're intent, intentional about it because gardens don't happen by accident. But sometimes the kingdom of God just surprises us. I mean, sometimes God just does something really cool and he's already at work in the lives of people, and we just get to see it and take notice of it and enjoy it because it's not all up to us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are at work in your world. Thank you that you are coming. You are still, Jesus, coming close to us to save those who are lost. So Jesus, teach us how to follow you into these places. Teach us how to love people the way you love people. God, keep drawing us to yourself, and God, draw our neighbors, draw our friends, draw our family members, those who, who God, the burden we carry on our hearts, God, show them your love and your kindness, and God, if you want to just do something amazing and surprising that we just get to sit back and enjoy, God, we will, we will celebrate it, and God, if you want to use us, if you want to use our tables, our food, our, our ears, our voice, 
our hands, our feet. God, if you want to use us, God, we will be so grateful that you chose to use us. Thank you, Jesus. 